My name is Barbara Eisworth, um, and we're in Tucson, Arizona, and um, on the property of Ishkashita Refugee Network and my residence um, here in Tucson for the last 22 years. I grew up in Pennsylvania, um, where every backyard had a garden, and you went out and picked your own, either foraging for blueberries or or pick your own strawberries in a strawberry field or in an apple field and then went home and processed those. So my mother and grandmother, grandmothers all did food preservation and taught us freezing and, and canning and pickling. And, um, and in fact, <laughs> I went off <clears throat> to college having never eaten any tomato out of a can. So it was a rude awakening. My sister and I used to spirit off from the basement or cellar jars of, quart jars of stewed tomatoes to take to college because otherwise how could we have um, homemade macaroni and cheese without the added stewed tomatoes, which I, apparently not everybody in the world does, but I, at the time I thought they did it until we found out that mac and cheese can come out of a box. So we would spirit, and my mother would yell at us, hey, that's hard work. And um, one um, year, my grandmother had a stroke, and so I was, I spent the summer with her in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and um, decided we would stew, do canned tomatoes, but it was me and my grandmother, which wasn't full capacity yet, in her recuperation, and it was the one of the hottest, hardest days of my life. And I thought, I'm never going to steal a quart of tomatoes again from my mother, because now I know its value. So, fast forward, one career, USGS. Um, I was a research geologist for U.S. Geological Survey. Worked in Latin America, um, and where I was um, also an exchange student earlier, ten years earlier than that. Um, tropical fruits, different food preservation techniques, um, and came to Tucson with the USGS and then um, entered into my PhD program and went for environmental science and ended up working in Africa and had trouble every time I went and came back to Tucson where there was fruit lying on the ground because I had just a few days earlier been in a village with um, a group of women who were struggling to feed their own um, and going through hunger periods every year and so it just became literally hard to stomach when I would come back. So some people go get culture shock going somewhere and I always got culture shock coming back here um, because A, nobody understood or I felt like nobody understood. And um, I was finishing my dissertation or attempting to finish my dissertation and kind of was in a very stalled pattern and wrote a small grant through the city of Tucson's Department of Neighborhood Resources to teach youth how to use geospatial information technologies, which was my expertise in the past um, and apply that to something very real, which is identifying the food resources in a neighborhood and then inviting over a four month period after teaching them how to identify and map and create a GIS before Google Earth, before Google Maps. 
um, how to create a map showing all the food, different diverse food resources, then invite the neighbors to donate, then learn what to do with that. In fact, some of this juicing jamborees happened in this backyard um, instead of commercial kitchens where we do that now. And um, so it was a, a great experience. Um, some kids took to interviewing the neighbors. Some wanted to pop that fruit right out, off the tree into their mouth like the Kalamundin lines that we've been sharing with people this week at the International Seed Conference, Seed Library Conference. And, um, and it was very impactful for me to see this transformation of these youth communities having some uh, skepticism about what are all these youth doing walking down the street or in the alley and what we were doing is recording pomegranate trees and rosemary bushes and backyard gardens and lemon trees and every citrus you can think of figs peaches plums um, and on the last we did four of these neighborhoods systematically mapping the food resources and teaching how to use a GPS. Um, we did these all surrounding the University of Arizona, including this neighborhood here, Jefferson Park, and then an anthropology um, colleague of mine from the U of A suggested I recruit Somali Bantu youth, and then became my my spearheaded idea. Then became a two-headed fork <laughs> and, and I was doing food justice along with um, refugee resettlement and, and um, resettling of United Nations refugees to Tucson by introducing them to the local foods and learning from them what was local and edible for them and what to do with that food and how it's used in recipes and then later with lots more different ethnic groups learning the different palettes of each ethnic group. We learn more recipes and more uses of, of foods and we've been doing this going on 12 years now and with each new ethnic group we find and with each new year of familiarity and and the network growing in volunteers, refugees and non-refugees, we find a new food resource. Last year we harvested jujubes for the first time in large numbers. We'd been mapping that, but never had really harvested. So, um, and developing partnerships with farms and orchards. Um, and the University of Arizona, we have a, a program called Linking Edible Arizona Forests. We have a statewide steering committee that I serve on, but also one at the U of A to teach the university students what is growing there and what to do with it. And in fact, we made 160 jars of Kalamund and lime marmalade last week that will be start to be sold in our bookstores and that's a big big juncture for us um, because anything you put the U of A name on sells so last year we had bear down olive oil this year we have bear down jam oh bears and jam I never never even thought of that oh I gotta I'm gonna have to get a graphic for that <laughs> for the signage so we, um, we harvest fruits and vegetables and herbs, um, some medicinal herbs um, and nuts and pods such as pecans and carob and mesquite. Um, some of these are familiar to the refugees and some of them aren't. Um, 
and um, it's always been very tempting to get into the gardening aspects, but um, we we work closely with the families. The network is intergenerational. We work with the youth when we can. Um, they help their parents and grandparents out with English learning and um, there's a lot of challenges, but what's not challenging and what, what they can feel good about and not have to think so hard about is this going back to their agricultural roots or if they're engineers and dentists and lawyers from Iraq, going back to the land which everybody has a connection from, every, everybody has a, a home garden. Um, and so that's a reminder of home. And the harvesting, he, healing happens with the harvesting. Healing happens in the kitchen. And there's a lot to be healed because they're coming from war-torn areas where they've experienced genocide, where there's an enormous amount of loss and connecting them to the foods that connect them to family, that connect them to religion, connecting them to special specialty food items that are, are based on their holidays, and then learning about American holidays as their and, and, and American foods and preservation techniques and what grows in this Sonoran Desert um, gives them a sense of place um, and a place to put their roots down. Um, and it's just, it's, it's really amazing to watch. Um, we have potluck dinners where everybody shares what they they cook in our food preservation workshops, which have, have been happening about four, five, six times a month now. Um, refugees have the opportunity to do demonstrations um, at some of the community festivals. They do demonstrations of their, their food. I don't know if you noticed the, the bucket of grape leaves out there, that's to be made into dolmas, and that's not a food resource you can buy fresh at the store, that's, so that's very, very precious. Um, some of the edible, edible weeds, what we call edible weeds, or what we just call plain weeds, like amaranth, purslane, um, lamb's quarters, are precious to them. And you know, we'll go out and harvest, and I'll call back the next day and say, "How was it?" And they, Barbara, I tasted home. I tasted home. So those that kind of comfort food and comfort interactions is really important in their process of becoming Americans, meeting Americans before they become Americans, learning English, learning how to navigate the city from one property to the another, seeing how the other side lives. Um, entering sometimes, like today, entering in a gated gated community. Um, they don't understand food waste, um, especially coming from refugee camps where refugees have, have been in camps for 10, 12, 15, 18, 22 years, 30 years. The 1972 Burundians have been going from camp to camp. So food waste, when your food has been rationed with five items, and where you, you don't have read, readily uh, access to, to fresh fruits and vegetables, this is a way that we, while they're going through this transmission period, we know they have food that they recognize, not food out of a box, not anything processed. They've, um, so this is a way that they have fresh fruits and vegetables. Some of the vegetables they don't know, and they try, um, and some they won't try. And then we also introduce them to native foods, Usually those are processed and sold because they'll taste them but not particularly interested in. But in the edible tree area, era like the loquat, it's, uh, if you ask 
um, eight out of 10 Tucsonans what the Loquat tree is, they're gonna say, I don't know. You'll ask a refugee mixed group from all these different countries and I bet six out of 10 would be able to tell you what it is. So in a very different language. Um, so there's a there's a whole empowerment of the refugees. They teach us in the in the kitchen. They teach us. We teach them that date palms grow here. They teach us how to harvest, how to cull, what to do with them in the kitchen, and what to do with the pulp of the first process, and how to use that in a second process, and what to do with the leftover from that process into a third process. So these low waste models or zero waste models are, are second nature to often to them that they're sharing with us. So it's been just an adventure. And um, the first community garden that we had failed because um, I'm sure there's many reasons, but it was, it was just too much for the first group that I worked with. Um, had so many barriers and so many challenges and large families and no experience with English or literacy um, or formal education. And so supporting large families, all of a sudden they went from rural areas to urban areas where we're like, everybody's independent, everybody lives separately. Um, and there were just so many challenges that the garden on a daily basis was not possible. So now um, we've chosen a different approach and we've partnered with an apartment complex um, and the refugees, we connect them to resources and they've been here long enough and they have jobs that they can work it out and it's convenient geographically to their apartment complex. It's right next door through to three apartment complexes. And so we supply seeds and we supply um, manure, by the truckload and compost that we make here, they help us make. Then we sift it and bag it. it goes back to their apartments. Um, some of our partners through the University of Arizona, the hydroponics, donate um, shredded coconut husks from their hydroponic operations. Um, and we add that to the soil. So really, um, and that's been in operation for a, a year, just over a year, and that huge success. Um, and learning which seeds they brought with them. We're still learning each, each group. And um, some of the groups are trading seeds from same ethnic group in North Dakota or, or Ohio or Pennsylvania. So we're learning where the seeds are coming in and what they are and how to use them. And so um, this summer we're in particular want to document some of that and um, potentially mount a project with Native Seed Search and a University of Alaska um, professor who's moving back to Tucson. Um, so we have a preliminary survey that we have out there, you know, what seeds are you missing? Have you gotten seeds from other states or other countries? So that's exciting to see different uses of, of um, different plants, but also different parts of plants. Um, the the Bhutanese refugees are all ethnic Nepalese, exiled 22 years ago from their country, all had agricult agricultural backgrounds um, and a love of the earth. And so we went on this garlic harvest, which we're going this Saturday, to harvest, help a small family farmer harvest 2,500 pounds of garlic. That's not for us, that's for the farmer. And then each family goes home with 10 pounds of garlic and we have a big vegetarian 
um, buffet at the end and then everybody but the driver sleeps all the way home. It's about two hours away. Um, but this, um, and then in between the rows of the garlic is lamb's quarters. So all of a sudden we're, we're harvesting betu, which is Nepalese for lamb's quarter. Um, and we, we, there's just, it's a, it's a rich exchange, cross-cultural exchange for all the students, all the interns that come through here, the staff um, that come through here, I think, would say their refugee experience is transformed and their, their, their local food relationship has changed and been transformed dramatically by the work that we do here and the education that we're trying to provide for the larger community and raise awareness about the food waste and how the resources are here. We just have to put our minds to making a change that we get the food resources to the people that need it instead of composting it in the landfills, which is not exactly composting, or that it's just simply going into the, just, just going to waste.